Hashem, my 
Just try. 
Avi Miller out of Israel with a uh, selection entitled Curry Bone. We are anxiously awaiting his brand new double CD, I believe it's going to be, which should be in the stores by next week here in the United States. Shal Shalas with Aisha Schael. Yeravna done by Eitan Katz. You heard Shlomo Simcha off of Shabbos with Shlomo Simcha. And, of course, Shruli Williger off of the Kalbach Friday Night album. Regesh and Modani opening things up as usual here on a Friday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. Welcome to a Friday. It's September the 18th, day 5 in the month of Tishrei. That's right, day 5 in the month of Tishrei. The year is 5776. Are you aware that we've got a brand new year, 5776? And I hope everybody's enjoying it already. I hope it's been one of great joy and simcha to everybody out there. That's for sure. Um, 68 degrees outside, 74% humidity, winds are west, 3 miles per hour. Sunny today, a high 86, clear tonight, low 66, mostly sunny tomorrow, high of 80. I'll tell you, thank God, we have had really amazing weather over the last uh, few weeks. Really incredible. Uh, right now we're at uh, 68 here in Jersey City. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Galaital News next. עימותים בעיר העתיקה בירושלים במהלך תפילות יום השישי, כתבנו רום ליאור. לאחר בוקר שעבר באופן שקט, נעצר במהלך התפילות חשוד בעידוי אבנים לעבר כוחות המשטרה סמוך לשער שכם. מעט אחר כך התפתחו בקרבת המקום הפרות סדר, במהלכן השתמשה המשטרה באמצעים לפיזור הפורעים. גם על האירוע הזה הושגה שליטה. השר לביטחון הפנים גלעד ארדן טוען שיושב ראש הרשות הפלסטינית אבו מאזן וחברי הכנסת הערבים מסיתים להגברת האלימות בירושלים. כתבתנו שירה הדס נקר שמעה אותו ברחבת הכותל. אני מביע צער רב על ההסתה והשקרים שהרשות הפלסטינית בראשות אבו מאזן יחד עם חברי כנסת ערבים ישראלים מסיתים בימים האחרונים ומשקרים בקשר למה שנעשה על הר הבית. הכוונה שלנו, כמו שתמיד הייתה וכך היא תימשך, היא לשמור על הסטטוס קוו בהר הבית. בחיפה נהרג ילד בן שבע מפגיעת מיניבוס, כתבנו קובי מנדל. הילד בן השבע וחצי נמצא בצהריים מוטל ללא דופק ונשימה עם פגיעת ראש קשה לאחר שהוא נפגע על ידי מיניבוס ברחוב גאולה בחיפה. מתנדבי איחוד הצלה וצוות מדה כרמל ביצעו בו פעולות החייאה ולאחר זמן קצר נקבע מותו. נהג הרכב הפוגע עוכב לחקירה. לראשונה מאז כינון היחסים בין ישראל לסין, חברת תעופה סינית תפעיל קו מנתב"ג לבייג'ין. הטיסה הראשונה צפויה להמריא באפריל. שגריר ישראל בסין, מתן וילנאי, מברך. זה הישג עצום ליחסי ישראל-סין. זה ישנה את כלל מערכת התיירות בין שתי המדינות, שזה אחד המרכיבים של יחסים בין מדינות. במשרד החוץ מקווים שהקו החדש יכפיל את מספר התיירים הסינים המבקרים בארץ, כך דיווחה כתבתנו אליל שחר. משבר הפליטים באירופה, מאות מהגרים מתקבצים, מתקבצים על גבול הונגריה-קרואטיה. כתבתנו דנה גוטר. עדיין לא ברור לאן פניהם מועדות, אך גבר סורי אחד אמר לסוכנות הידיעות רויטרס שהוא מעוניין להגיע לבירת קרואטיה ומשם להמשיך לכיוון סלובניה. בינתיים הקימו המהגרים מחנה פליטים זמני במקום. 
משטרת קרואטיה עדכנה שקרוב ל-500 מהגרים נעצרו לאחר שחצו אתמול את הגבול לכיוון הונגריה. בתוך כך, שר הפנים הקרואטי אמר כי אם זרם הפליטים לא יתמעט, זה רק עניין של זמן עד שקרואטיה תסגור את כל מעברי התנועה בגבול. התחזית הטמפרטורות תישארנה גבוהות מהרגיל לעונה, ביום ראשון צפויה התחממות נוספת. לעדכונים נוספים חפשו גל"צ בטוויטר. אלה החדשות שעורך יותם ברגר, בצוות רון לביוד ועידו גרינברג. כל כל מה שנותן הקדוש ברוך הוא הכל מתנה כל כל מה שקורה אנחנו מקבלים באמונה כל כל מה שעובר אנחנו מברכים על טוב ועל רע כל כל מה דאבין
מרויש מקדם נסיכו, סויף מעשה במחשבות
JM in the AM. We'll get to that Simcha Liner tune, don't worry. Uh, that's Shlomi Toysig with Likras Shabbat. Or Likras Shabbos, actually, more accurately. Shlomo Katz had Barosh Hashanah. Lenny Friedman, brand new with Simchas. David Gabe Hakola Tova, that's brand new as well here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Vayelech, candlelighting at 6.40. 6.40 is candlelighting time on this Erev Shabbos. Please keep in mind, Yaakov Binyamin Ben Rut. Yaakov Binyamin Ben Ruth for Rafur Shleiman, your help with that is uh, greatly appreciated. JM in the AM as we continue here on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, getting closer and closer to the weekly update. About 20 minutes from now with Malcolm Holmline who's going to join us. Lots to discuss in this crazy world of ours. This coming Sunday night, Rabbi Yisachar Friend, starting at 8 p.m. at the Young Israel of Flatbush in the annual, 26th annual, Kinnis Chuva. For Just One Life, it happens this coming Sunday night, beginning at 8 p.m. at the Young Israel of Flatbush, 1012 Avenue I. You can visit their website for information. The visit to the Kivrei Tzadikim, which is being led by Rabbi Mordechai Kamenetsky, uh, that's happening this coming Sunday, September the 20th, leaving Flatbush at 9.30 in the morning. Um, information at 718-692-1465, 718 uh, I noticed, I didn't even realize that there was a rally planned, um, but I noticed this in one of the papers. A communal call, a rabbinic-led rally for a better Iran deal this coming Sunday at the United States Mission to the United Nations. How do you like that? Um, participating rabbis include some uh, very prominent names. And again, it's a communal call, a rabbinic-led rally for a better Iran deal. This coming Sunday, 12 noon, the United States Mission to the U.N., which is East 45th Street between 1st and 2nd Avenues in New York City. Yeshiva University Center for the Jewish Future and the Arbusfeld Kolel Yom Rishon Amidreshad Yom Rishon present 9.30 this coming Sunday morning, Professor Nechama Price on the uh, topic of Mission Impossible, Stepping into Moshe's Shoes. And by Dr. Jacob J. Schachter on Shuva and Sefer Yonah, Preparing for Yom Kippur. It's happening up at Yeshiva University's Wolf Campus this coming uh, Sunday. It's open to men and women. Complimentary parking is available. Information, you can uh, go to midreshadyomrishon.org or kolelyomrishon.org for more information about this Sunday's event. Park East Synagogue is, and I believe, um, I think Cantor Benny mentioned this. Maybe he didn't. I thought he mentioned it when he was here. Park East Synagogue is um, getting a uh, is getting ready, or helping Chazanim and Balei Tzvila get ready for Yom Kippur. Uh, this coming Sunday at 7 p.m. at Park East Synagogue, Cantor Yitzchak Mayor Helfgott, with a guide to the selection of cantorial pieces during davening. Cantor Benny Rogoznitsky on combining Nusach and songs, making davening meaningful. And the Cantor Daniel Gilder on the haunting music of Ne'ila, leaving a lasting impression. This coming Sunday, 7 p.m. at Parkey Synagogue. If you're a Chazan or a Baal you may want to take advantage of this. Go to parkeysynagogue.org or dial 212-737-6900, 212-737-6900. I want to make sure to mention it by David Goldwasser. And Gahal Beis Yitzchak present his uh, Shabbos Shuva Drusher, or by Goldwasser Shabbos Shuva Drusher is always an amazing presentation. This coming Shabbos, tomorrow, 515 at the Gil Hodges School, that's PS 193, 
2515 Avenue L, the corner of Bedford Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. 515 Rabbi Goldwasser, Shabbat Shuvah, Drusha, PS 193-2515 Avenue L, the corner of Bedford Avenue. 26 minutes after 7 o'clock Friday morning. Weekly update coming up and plenty more. 68 degrees, sunny and a high of 86. Yerushalayim is at 91.1 degrees. We're at 68 in Jersey City as we say good morning on this Friday morning with brand new music from Simcha Liner.
Yitzchak Fuchs with a, a song entitled Shabbatot here at JM in the AM. Simcha Liner before that, and I uh, I confirmed yesterday that it's totally official. He's going to join us at some point next week. In fact, it may be next Friday. 
on what essentially for us is going to be Erev Sukkot. Obviously, Erev Sukkot is Sunday, and Matas will do a show that day. But uh, for me here at JM in the AM, essentially it's going to be our Erev Sukkot show. And um, fittingly enough, because uh, there'll be a lot to talk about regarding Cholamoid and Simcha Liner and Baruch Levine. It became official just earlier this week, Baruch Levine and Simcha Liner with the Yochi Briskman Orchestra are going to be in Muncie, up in Muncie at the Yeshiva of Spring Valley on Wednesday night, Cholamoid. beginning at 8 p.m., and then in Brooklyn, New York, on Thursday, Cholamoid, at the Millennium Master Theater, starting at 8 p.m. on Thursday night. So that's all happening with Baruch Levine and Simcha Liner together in two shows, Muncie, Wednesday night, Cholamoid, and Brooklyn, Thursday night, Cholamoid. Seats are available, jewishtickets.com, VIP, etc., Levine Liner Show at gmail.com. <laughs> Levine Liner Show. At gmail.com or 718-677-1010, JM and AM, Shabbos Shuvah, Erev Shabbos Shuvah, and candlelighting at 640, first Shabbos of the brand new year of 5776, and I thank you all for joining us. Malcolm Honline is minutes away, so keep it here for that. The weekly update is coming up. Tune in on your radio, around the world, on the NSN app. Whichever method you want to use. Avi Miller and Ochila next at JM in the AM. Oh. 
That's Avi Miller, words from the Yom and the Rayim from the High Holiday Service. That's uh, an album we are much anticipating. I believe it's going to be a double album based on what we hear coming out next week. Avi Miller here at JM in the A. I wanted to mention before we get to our weekly update, which we will in just a moment, wanted to remind everybody that Mayanot Yeshiva High School has their big Yom Eon this coming Sunday. The community is invited to partake in uh, what is really an amazing lineup of speakers led by keynote speaker by Jeremy Weeder from Reitz. Uh, Mayanot Yeshiva High School for Girls Community Yom Iyun for men and women this coming Sunday starts at 9.30 in the morning. And the uh, principal, Mrs. Kahan, and a, uh, like I said, a very distinguished roster of faculty, in addition to keynote speaker by Jeremy Weeder, are going to be presenting all through the morning uh, until 12.30. The event is sponsored in memory of Shalom Tzvi ben Aharon. Happening at Mayanot Yeshiva High School. Go to Mayanot.org. You can call the school for information. Again, 9.30 this coming Sunday morning in Teaneck, New Jersey. We want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend our amazing live stream to all of their readers. You can check out uh, thousands of articles. I don't think that's an exaggeration about Israel and the Jewish world uh, at jewishworldreview.com. And as usual, a big thank you to our friends at Only Simplis who have utilized our material, our on-air material, as part of their incredible expansion from not just Simchas, but really a, what has turned out to be a very fun and informative news feed that they present on a daily basis. And we thank them for including us on a regular basis. Um, Candle lighting at 6.40 on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayelech, Erev Shabbos Shuva, on this uh, Friday morning. And I remind you that um, a new innovation for us, if you at all miss any of the conversation that goes on during the weekly update, uh, now almost immediately, I would say by the time Rabbi Yudin uh, concludes his remarks, uh, the archive is available on the NSN app, which means you go to the uh, weekly update section of the archive section of the NSN app, and you could access the entire conversation, like I say, almost immediately, minutes after it concludes here at JM in the AM. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Good morning, and a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. The Republican debate this week was uh, anything but sweet. (laughs) Uh, I'll start with this, since it seems to be the focus of the entire Jewish world at this point. Uh, Your reaction to the comments on Twitter by Ann Coulter. And when you go to Twitter, by the way, I remind everybody in the older generation, when you go to Twitter, it means you did put a little bit of thought in. I know it's done instantaneously and all that, and someone could, in theory, you know, press that button, uh, uh, you know, sooner than they want to. But obviously it sounds in this case like it's calculated. Your reaction? 
Well, she has, uh, it seems, some history of uh, making uh, comments about Jews or Israel, but I think this is really unacceptable, uh, at the minimum, of an apology, and if she was trying to be humorous, it isn't. Uh, and the, the uh, lack of outcry, I think, about it is really quite surprising because it's, it's such a, an outrageous comment. Um, I think it, it really requires, it's the kind of thing that can't be dropped. It's funny you say lack of uh, outrage because I, I think on social media there was a lot of outrage. Maybe you're right, though, that in terms of leadership there wasn't the outrage you'd expect. I'm talking about a public condemnation, and the, the uh, online reaction took about 20, uh, almost a day or three-quarters of a day before it started, and, and there were people who tweeted the comment immediately, more in shock than out of outrage. Yeah. And and you're right that there was more anger than as, as it spread, but we don't hear the kind of public reaction that has been said about other groups I don't think you, you would have had such a muted reaction. How do you know? It, it's funny. It's, maybe it's not so funny, but it's interesting to uh, consider how many people who would have made a similar statement would immediately have been dropped by their employer, um, would have been, as you say, you know, condemned much hard, more harsher than more, in a more harsh manner than she was. What, what's the exception here? Why do you think she got away with it, so to speak? I really don't know. I don't know whether people don't take her seriously and uh, therefore just uh, that could be. write it off to something, you know, that certain people we see can get away with making outrageous comments that others in making the same comment would have been held far more to account. But frankly, we remember when um, a secretary of state used similar language about uh, what to do to the Jews. They don't vote for us anyway. Right. And... The reaction is not one of uh, of outrage in the same way that I think it would be or deserve to be, and would have been with uh, another ethnic or religious group. Yeah, oh, love to read. Love that, that the Jews get special treatment or are are um, uh, tax on them are, are evoke more of a response. They should take note of this. Yeah, no question about it. That's true. You know what bothered me, and not that we should spend too much time on this, because I know we're so far away from the actual election, but what bothered me is that it, it seemed to me there were some really qualified people on that stage to be president. It just doesn't seem that those are the ones who are going to be in the final in the final mix at the end of the whole process. Yeah, when you have a, so many people on the stage at one time, nobody really they don't have the opportunity for the real in-depth discourse you saw flashes from different people but i don't know if that's really determinant and if, if somebody is not a uh, somebody who can jump to the response uh then they you know fall out of favor in a, or, or appear not aggressive enough in uh, these kind of forms and there are people who are not just capable of it I, I won't say who but there was once a really qualified presidential candidate with whom i spoke and i said you know americans want people to kill to be president they want to see a fire in the belly they want to see real determination to push everybody out of the way to, to become president and and he was just not capable of it it was not in his nature though he had every on paper every qualification and the uh, human being was a, a wonderful person and the, the forum of of 11 people if you if you don't make a biting sharp comment that that gets attention right then you're lost yeah 
And if you can make the most thoughtful observation... <laughs> You're ignored. <laughs> it gets ignored. And, and But this is not a taste of their knowledge. It's not really anything in-depth where you... You know, somebody will say something and say, okay, but what does that mean? What is this amendment in the Constitution? How would you deal with it? What would you do to change things? How would you, you know, uh, 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 evaluate the current circumstances post-Iran deal, for instance? Right. It's funny. I'm sorry? It all got short shrift. Yeah, no question about it. It's funny because I was pleasantly surprised by the knowledge on foreign policy of some of the people on that stage, which was shocking, frankly. But, like I say, we have a long time before we get to that. By the way, uh, on the same topic, but a little bit different, uh, we, we saw yesterday Donald Trump, he was, uh, uh, he was the target of a question about the uh, Muslims in this country, including, uh, the, the questioner's, um, uh, assumption that the President of the United States is a Muslim, etc. Uh, is, is there ever, look, we, we know, you know, we know about the majority of people in this world, and we know about the majority of people who, you know, observe the Islamic faith, but we also know that there is a, you know, a large, maybe a minority percentage, watch, but a large group that is quite extreme. Are we getting past the point that we're allowed to discuss that group anymore in the United States? Well, there are those in, in, who impose certain rules of political correctness that uh, applies particularly to particular groups, and when it comes to identifying acts, not universalizing them and not condemning any group as a whole, but um, identifying, you know, certain trends or, or causes, causal factors, you're right that there are, are limits on doing it. Uh, that is, that's different than what the person said yesterday. Right. Um, but the, you know, and when you're talking about a specific individual, but I think that the, you know, the general political correctness today does limit and people are intimidated and i have seen it directly and people have told it to me yeah. that they are intimidated people in press or people in government uh, from sometimes naming the and identifying the a, a perpetrator or, or background do you view the invitation um of the uh uh, alarm clock student to the White House as a political correctness move or a proper... No, I think that was just a gesture to a kid who was mistreated and they were wrong in what they did to him. And that, I don't think they could describe any great significance to it. Yeah. Well, they were wrong what they did to him, but you, you I'm, I'm sure one side of you says that you understand the hesitation that somebody has to let a, a contraption like that into a school. And be, well, I think any kid who comes in with a, a backpack that's ticking <laughs> right. security these days. But when the kid simply did, did what he did, invented, you know, put this together, was a, and wanted to show his teachers what you know his home project. Uh, you know, there, there has to be some distinction made in it. Yeah, there's uh, there's some people, some members of the media who are making a big deal over the neutral position that the conference of presidents took when it came to the Iran deal. Frankly, I don't know what choice the conference of presidents had, but whatever you could elaborate on that if you wish. Any regrets? with how the conference approached this whole process over the last few months? First of all, we're not neutral, and, and there was only one person I know who wrote something, and it's a complete misreading and misunderstanding. Uh, you know that uh, not only I and the chairman have appeared on in media since day one and for ten years before day one, making the case 
uh, about Iran, arguing it long before anybody else and more intensely than anybody else. We had a national task force in Iran, broad-based, to, to bring everybody into this campaign against Iran. Uh, you know, that we carried on the campaign for Iran 13 all over the whole world till we got them out. And especially about this issue of a nuclear Iran, which I first met Bush 1 in 19, in the early 1990s, maybe 1991, to talk to him about this danger. Um, so we've been anything but neutral on it. What we did at the end is we issued a statement, and the, the statement says, gives the history of where we are. It completely talks about the failure of this agreement, what's wrong with it, what the implications are for Israel, for the United States, for everything, if anybody bothers to read it. And we cited the fact that we did an intensive poll of all of our members, the 53 organizations, and it took a long time to get responses for some because there were many organizations that were on the fence or because of reasons of their own uh, and some because of legal reasons did not take a position, uh, but we finally issued this statement. 55% of the member organizations of the conference, which represents then the conference's view because it's a, a body of its organizations, 55% uh, were against the deal and less than 10% for the deal. With the remainder, some ex issued statements of concern without taking a specific position. Others, uh, because they work in sensitive countries or because of other things, uh, uh, tax restrictions, do not take positions on right. specific legislation. Right. So, number one, we're not neutral on this. Number two, what we were saying is now that, the, that we're getting to the day after, is to focus and not to end this campaign, but that we have to reinvigorate. And in fact, yesterday had a meeting talking about the next stages in this effort, and and uh, and secondly, talking about the need to come together and that these reports of acrimonious debates and how the community is torn apart over this issue, I think, were all false and purposely designed to divide the community, weaken us. The charges that APAC was a big loser and that others were are not true either, and people today are beginning to run. If anything, we have to remember that a majority of the Congress supported it. We had many members of Congress. We had everybody from the President and to and Prime Minister Netanyahu, Secretary Kerry, gave everybody an opportunity to be heard. But the the outcome in the in the fifty five to ten percent fifty five percent to less than ten percent uh, was clear, and our efforts were meant to bring everybody back together to say that we're going to have to face the future. We've got to be unified. We can't allow the appearance to be created that we are in this uh, very divided and paralyzed situation which is what, what much of the media was trying to do. And I know it's only a week later, but it seems like that's already happening. It seems like there is already, a, if there needs to be some repair, it looks like it's already being made. Maybe it's because it's t this time of year, or maybe it's because everyone understands and feels the pressure of being the target of a you know a nation that's about to have nuclear weapons. But it seems like it, things are going in the direction you described. They are because people, we've made a, a really deliberate effort and our goal was not to, you know, pour any more fuel on a fire because if there was something to be accomplished, but when you know what the outcome is. But people should remember the vote in the House and in the Senate was overwhelmingly in, opposed to the bill. It was 58-42 in the Senate. Right. Now, because it was an agreement and not a treaty, had it been a treaty, the president would have needed 67 votes, which is why he didn't go for it. Right. But he did go in because of the anomalies of the system, could threaten the veto, a filibuster and the veto, et cetera. So 
with uh, uh, less than a third of the House of, or the Senate, he, he could have uh, overridden, uh, he, he would have stopped an override of the veto. And without uh, 40 votes, um, and with 40 votes, he, they, they um, could threaten a, a, a filibuster block, uh, efforts to over, overtake a filibuster. I wonder who gets credit in the White House for thinking of the strategy of agreement over treaty. <laughs> Well, I think that that was something they understood that the that with the Republican majorities in both houses that would be very difficult, and I think that they expected all the Democrats to line up. That was not the case, as you know, Schumer, Menendez, others, Cardin, right. um, mm-hmm. uh, but but uh, so more so that the, the there's one uh, more I can never. And then the other thing is, if you look at the polls of the American people. That increasingly they were opposed to it. The last one, I think one Pew poll showed 20% support, vast majority of Americans, but all of the polls end up with at least two thirds, one third opposed to the, to the bill, having concerns about it, recognizing the frailties, the, um, the problems with the bill. That's not a failure either. That the fact that the American people have come to this point on a, on a piece of legislation, where, by and large, people are indifferent, as you pointed out, even some of the candidates are, are not knowledgeable and indifferent to, to foreign policy issues. Yeah. And it will force them at least to monitor, and I hope that Congress will take additional steps. There's a lot of things being contemplated, uh, that and other bodies as well. There are additional sanctions being imposed on, on Hezbollah and other groups that we, we have a base now to... That a justifiable base to, to take further steps, and, and members of Congress, I think, are going to be compelled because they, those who voted in support of the bill or in support of the filibuster um, are going to be held to account because if it fails, it's their failure as well. Yeah. Um, well, with all this in mind, in terms of you know still fighting the uh, the fight and still uh, you know trying to keep the issue out in the forefront, when you hear that 22 rabbis are gathering in a rabbinic-led rally for a better Iran deal this Sunday at the United States Mission to the U.N., you say, I assume, call it vote, right? Go ahead and let's keep the issue out there, and certainly if it ever leads to a better deal, thank God it will. Absolutely. Anything that can lead to a, a better deal, I think, is, a, is, a, is beneficial, and we are all working on it. We are... Uh, convening our, our national task forces, our high-level groups that meet in Washington of the top experts. We've been in consultation with them daily and to see what steps can be taken. One of the issues, obviously, now is with the Prime Minister's upcoming visit to see to it that Israel gets um, the, the arms and, and some and compensation necessary for the change uh, situation, security situation, the potential of, of uh, Iran providing uh, much more sophisticated and, and greater quantities of weapons and with the entry of Russia into Syria, perhaps uh, limiting Israel's ability to uh, take out some of those uh, transshipments, uh, convoys and, and trucks carrying uh, weapons, which they have in the past, uh, sort of missiles in particular to Hezbollah. Now with the potential of, of a sophisticated uh, Russian uh, air defense system and with the Russian planes and Russian troops and, the, and the, them protecting many of the areas where the weapons are taken, uh, this is a real game changer. So Israel is going to need a, a lot of things, and I hope that in the November 9th meeting between the President and the Prime Minister... November 9th it is? 
Yeah. Um, he's coming here October 1st to speak at the United Nations on October 1st, but they will, he will not go to Washington this time. He will just be in New York. Um, and his home, Sukkot, so he'll, he'll be going back uh, probably after Shabbos. Uh, but then he'll come back in November, and the, a meeting with the president has already been announced. And hopefully there, a lot of the air can be cleared and they will come out. And the important thing is that the message that goes to the countries in the region of U.S.-Israel solidarity, that whatever differences there were, were legitimate over a really important and serious issue yeah. that for Israel is an is a existential issue. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM Dial Broadcasting Live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org and on the NSN app. And I remind you, if you missed any of this conversation so far, if you go to the uh, archive section on the NSN app, go to the um, archive. Go to the um, uh, uh, go to the weekly update section in the archives section of the NSN app. And you'll be able to access it uh, literally minutes after we uh, complete this conversation. So this is how do you categorize? This upcoming trip to Russia for Prime Minister Netanyahu, is it uh, one of desperation uh, because he's got to a position Israel, you know, properly now because Russia's uh, bringing their forces into Syria and has a very cozy relationship with Assad? Uh, if you don't want to use the word desperate, is it, uh, you know, urgent? What is going to happen with this meeting between Netanyahu and Putin this coming week? Well, I think the uh, I've already touched on some of the issues that are likely to come up, but this is, I would say, an urgent meeting. The uh, the involvement of Russia, which is not because of Israel or aimed at Israel, it is aimed at um, protecting their interests, Latakia in particular, where they have their big naval base, but also because they want to shore up Assad, uh, where they they are providing weapons and manpower. I think it could be a trap for them, ultimately. Uh, I think the IS could start targeting and killing Russian soldiers, and wow. the situation can escalate. But it, it shows the freedom of action that he has, that the United States, which obviously opposes this, can't dissuade him from doing this, and that the, um, the, the Russians, who don't have the resources, people have to realize that the economic base of Russia has shrunk so much that they can't afford to take on multiple fronts. So it's likely that they will do less in Ukraine and divert manpower and attention and resources from the Ukraine to the um, to the Syria to Syria, which is now their front issue. The, I think Ukraine they don't expect any major changes to take place. They can keep some troops there, be enough uh, with the influence of the, the people, the Russian-speaking people, and. The uh, Crimea is a fait accompli. They're not going to reverse it. So he turns his attention and starts flying in tanks, flies in uh, aircraft, builds an airfield, and the West sits there and can't do anything. <laughs> They're incapable of, of stopping it. And it's a, it's part of the deterioration of the relationship uh, between Russia and the United States in particular and, and I guess the West in general. Here they sat together on the Iranian issue, the P5 plus one, 
and uh, Russia, of course, is rushing now to sell stuff to anything to to everybody in the region, but even to Iran. And we know of deals that are being signed for airplanes, for other things that uh, they are buying there. You know, Putin was an interesting subject at the debate this week. And, you know, the opinions ranged from we should never be speaking to him to, you know, we need really good, close diplomacy with a guy like that. Uh, What's the real answer? Well, the answer is that that we made mistakes, you know, the the placement of the missiles, and we made mistakes in not standing up. When when, uh, we withdrew from, when we turned our guns around, I should say, in, in Syria, when we let the red lines always disappear, Putin saw that, that there is no real opposition from the West, that you can get away with it. And that's when he made his decision to go into the Ukraine. He went into the Crimea, goes into Ukraine, challenges them. The West can scream and yell. And now everybody wants to negotiate with him. Everybody's talking to him. And European dependence on, on the energy from Russia, which is very great still, is going to diminish. We know that they have other sources they're talking about. By the end of the next decade, they will get 40% of their natural gas from uh, uh, Iranian sources. They'll get it. Egypt will now be an exporter. Israel, obviously, will be exporting uh, as well, hopefully. So for for Russia, this this is uh, a move that, A, challenges, but more than that, exposes the West. And, uh, and he keeps showing the world that, look, I stand up for our friends. I stand up as opposed to the West that does not. Mm-hmm. I stand by our friends. And, and I've heard it from leaders saying, look, we might as well go with him because at least he's true to his word. So, so Netanyahu goes to Russia and knows that the Syrian-Russian relationship, Assad-Putin relationship, presents, and I know that I may be asking you to repeat something, but just to make it clear, presents what danger to Israel? If Russia and Syria were not aligned, how much better off would Israel be? Well, first of all, because of the the presence of their weapons and their troops makes it more difficult for Israel to operate, and most importantly, because Israel's need to prevent the transfer of weapons they need freedom of action. That will be curtailed, not eliminated, but certainly curtailed. And the idea that Israel would have to land troops in order to take out some of the sites in areas controlled by uh, Russians or which Russians are operating. Is this negotiable? You know Netanyahu, you know Putin. Is this negotiable where he can get the point across that that Israel may need access to certain things? Well, I think that's why he's going there yeah. and why Bibi's going to, to, to Russia. And one of the issues that, uh, or the key issue that they are going to be talking about, I think the, the um, you know, the idea that Putin who keeps touting his closeness to the million Russians in, in Israel and to the and to Israel, uh, has repeatedly taken steps, and including at the United Nations, where which are not friendly to Israel. And this, this is, of course, a very serious move because it, it comes so close to Israel's border and Israel's direct interests. Has there been any attempt to inspect anything in Iran in the last few weeks while this is all going on? Everybody was so distracted by what would happen in the United States Congress? Well, yes, there is still the IEA is in negotiations with Iran. They're waiting for the information on the PMD, the past military developments, which is essential for establishing the baseline against which you measure where they, what other things they've done and the getting the information about their um, uh, what, 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 what kind of development there's been on the nuclear front, the weaponization, etc. Uh, there will be requests about Parchin. Uh, the IEA is due to report in December 
which will be a critical report uh, about uh, where Iran is at, what what they have achieved. But there there will be other reports in the interim. So yes, they're they're supposed to be reporting, and the West is supposed to be working with them on dismantling some of the sites, on on revamping the Iraq reactor, um, and you know all of these things. Which, and you know that Iran is not going to deliver. They may initially on some of this, but the idea that uh, they don't have to allow inspectors in to some of the sites as was originally uh, promised. And and you see the the violations already taking place, that Soleimani has made a second trip to Russia already, Soleimani being the heads of the Quds Force, who was under sanctions, is not supposed to, to fly internationally. And um, the Russian ambassador in London tweeted that Moscow's not in the regime change business, meaning that people who have been pressing them and saying, well, the Russians might be willing to abandon Assad. And, and you know, they all point to this and say, oh, you see, this is Western gullibility again. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's, uh, they're, they're, the postponements and the genius that they have of postponing every inspection and every type of uh, intervention by the West is just brilliant to watch. Very clever. But look at the things that have taken. Mahan Air, which is a, 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 a airline in Iran uh, is flying into all sorts of places in Europe, has broadly expanded their European connections and those in the Middle East. It's still under U.S. sanctions. They bought new weapons, new planes. They're, they're flying openly into Damascus with weapons, with personnel, with other things, in addition to making deals in Europe and, and continuing their, their activities. So the arms shipments, which are a violation of Security Council Resolution 1747, uh, Security Council Resolution 1929. Uh, all of this just goes by the wayside as they support Hezbollah and Syria with, uh, and these uh, and bringing weapons to terrorists. It's, it's uh, you know, and it's done blatantly. This is not something that uh, that is a secret. That's what makes it even even worse, frankly. Um, that it's you see that Iran releases five former uh, high uh, al-Qaeda people, three of them members of the Shura uh, Council and uh, well-known terrorists, letting them go, which will mean certainly an increase in terror, and some of Iran's neighbors and others are very much concerned about it. But they did it, it turns out, because they got back a, a, a somebody, an Iranian official who had been uh, captured in, in Yemen, and they make a deal. They allow these terrorists to go, and it could have a significant impact. Yeah. And this is, um, you know, this is really very serious stuff. It's not, uh, you know, uh, the release of five key plotters of terrorism. It's not just operatives. And you saw that Pat Meehan, from, a congressman from Pennsylvania, right. trying to get legislation to get the administration to okay in the United States. Uh, um, to the okay funds. For the court decisions right. that gave $43.5 billion to the victims of terror in the United States, to the families of uh, Iranian terror, and not one nickel has been paid. And now it looks like this deal may cover for them, and it will not be collectible. <laughs> Unbelievable. And by the way, call like a vote to him. He has, uh, he has kept track of every um, family that's deserving of funds from, uh, from Iran. Uh, and if you notice that the negotiations, according to reports now, started in 2011 when Ahmadinejad was the president. 
of, of Iran. It didn't start because, quote, this new moderate uh, leadership. Yeah. And this is coming from Iranian sources who published this um, during this past week. And they talk about uh, the, the, the head of the IEA of, of Iran, the uh, Iran Atomic Energy Organization, uh, Ali Akbar uh, Saleh, who, who was then the foreign minister under Ahmadinejad, he said the work on the talks began two and a half years ago in 2011, after obtaining the Supreme Leader's uh, approval, and that the Omani Sultan Qaboos uh, came to uh, as a mediator on behalf of the United States, uh, and they told him we want to solve the nuclear issue and, and, and lift sanctions in six months. I mean, it tells you what's really been going on and how long this thing has been cooking yeah. um, behind the scenes. Tell me about the boycott of Israel from Reykjavik, Iceland. Well, the city of Reykjavik, the capital of Iceland, is, has announced a, a boycott. It came from the city hall. The government of, of, of Iceland has renounced it and said this is just theirs. A Supreme Court uh, lawyer said the move is, is unconstitutional and goes beyond the city's role as a municipality um, and said it really ha- has no bearing. And others uh, took them because he said they're not boycotting China over Tibet or other many other situations. So it's again symbolic, right? Uh, but significant as a, another expression of the BDS movement, which is growing. The fact that the Europeans are talking about labeling products in the West Bank, which I've talked about here for so long, because it really is significant. It's not only a first step or, or an, another step to, towards a, real, a major boycott of all Israeli products, but it singles out Israel for discriminatory action. It makes it, it, it gives the impression that you can have open season on Israel. All these other countries get away with mass murder, torture, human rights violations. Iran, Barosham, the, the head of the line on, on all of this. And, and here, Israel, which is doing all these great humanitarian things and, and for no real uh, reason... They, they take advantage of the situation on Al-Aqsa, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and and try to exploit it. And when a country is simply trying to have law and order and people of all faiths being able to have access to their holy places, and you have people who want to restrict, who don't recognize the right of any other group, and then the West falls in line and only talks about, you know, holy to the Muslims and forgets about Christians and Jews and everybody else. Yeah, do you see the figure? I, th- I think I read one and a half million children now. Are targets or have been or whose lives have been altered by Boko Haram at this point? I think it was one and a half million, or, or some staggering. And, and I would statistic. bet it is true, and it's it, and it's an expanding influence. And again, the world hardly pays attention yep. to the horrific acts of these Islamist terrorist uh, uh, organizations, um, and and they dismiss you know the rock throwing terrorists as you know in, as. Uh, <laughs> You know, youths engaged yeah. in the, uh, what was it uh, that New York Times used the term rite of passage. Rite of passage? They kill people? You saw that an Israeli died on, the, uh, on Rosh Hashanah? Alexander Levlovitz, 64, Alexander Levlovitz, 64 years old, killed when his car crashed into a light pole after being hit by rocks. And he had his two daughters in the car, and, it, and uh, God forbid it could have been even worse. But it's not the only case, and they're, they're not throwing rocks. They're throwing boulders. They will line up by the side of the street, and many of these are, you know, young men, strong young men, and they can throw a boulder through a windshield 
which in itself can kill people, but it yeah. certainly makes it impossible for a guy to drive. It goes off the side of a road. Well, with this episode that you cited, and of course you mentioned Harabayat, the Temple Mount, and uh, all these days of rage that are being called for, is Israel now in an intifada without officially being in an intifada? Well, I asked the same question yesterday of the uh, Israeli police officials and others, and, and they say no, that it's restricted to this area. It's not happening in Nazareth. It's not happening in other cities. If God for, and the police are acting in a restrained way because they don't want somebody to get killed that will set off, be an excuse for them to set off. But this is being inspired by Abbas himself. This is the partner everybody wants Israel to negotiate with when he is himself talking about that they, that um, Israelis have no right to desecrate uh, our holy sites with their filthy feet. That's the words he's using. Uh, and but it also he said al aqsa is ours and so is the church of the holy sepulchre so it's not just jewish feet it's yeah. christian feet as well mm, of course and that he's going around the world he incites king abdallah of jordan who goes to the president goes to the united nations goes to other friendly uh, arab countries and from morocco to egypt to get saudi arabia uh, worked up because you know this is an issue that appeals there are people when on the internet they they keep saying al aqsa is in danger al aqsa got a rally for al aqsa al aqsa is ours and uh, you have to save Al-Aqsa. And the PA is promoting uh, this idea. Some of their uh, official uh, dailies and websites have been uh, have encouraged the continuing throwing rocks at Israelis and, and to defend Al-Aqsa. And they do it also in advance of the UN sessions every year so that when Abbas comes here, he gets a sympathetic response. He can get resolutions. He can get his flag put up at the United Nations. I mean, all these things encourage them because they see there's no point to peace negotiations. You get what you want by by being uh, uh, hardline and, and resistant, and you inst- you instigate violence even in a controlled way in an area that is very sensitive, in order to to rally everybody and, and force them. And there's a resolution that was supposed to be passed late last night. I'm not yet seeing the final language. But it's not one that, that takes into account the, the real Jewish interest there and that this is the number one holy site to Jews in the world. Resolution meaning UN resolution, you mean? A, a UN resolution, Security Council resolution, yes. Um, final word about the UN, uh, aside from the flag decision and all other symbolic stuff that we all love to follow, uh, anything else we should know about UN week next week and what to expect in terms of the PA, Israel, etc.? Well, the first thing to expect is traffic jams. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> be prepared with the Pope coming with yeah. the UN session. It's going to be a mess. So subway or stay home. <laughs> but the yes, I think we can expect um, the usual tirades against Israel. Uh, I think that the uh, Prime Minister will be coming at the end of the session. There are two sessions actually. There's the uh, two conferences. So many of the world leaders are only coming for the first, like Merkel and others. Some are coming only for the second. Some are coming for both. Uh, but uh, I think that, that you will see uh, much more heat, and there will be proposals, and we don't know yet if there will be a resolution of Security Council to try and set a time, uh, time frame or to otherwise uh, seek to promote uh, peace talks when Abbas has made it very clear that he's not interested right. and he won't, but that means only the pressure being brought to bear on Israel, and the, the double, tri- triple standard applies over and over again, as usual, especially in that building. So I would, I would look to that. I would look to where the there was a victory yesterday at the IEA in in uh, Vienna, 
where a resolution to monitor Israeli Israel's nuclear facilities was defeated. So that's one of those rare times that at a UN agency, Israel actually came out on top. It's amazing that that always goes that Doesn't it always go that way? It's always gone that way, right? It has. Right. And, uh, and I'm sure But we shouldn't take it lightly. Helped. Uh, what, what's helped? I'm sorry? I think uh, the United States helped. Right. Others. Right. But, there are, but other countries have an agenda in this as well, why they don't want to see it spread because apply to others too right um all right so i think the united nations agenda is going to be a very full one we're going to see numerous attacks and uh, the fact that they could vote the, to have the palestinian flag and you're going to see a ceremony where our boss raises the flag you know not going to be happy that's for sure all right uh thank you very much igmar simatova an easy fast and uh, we'll speak again next week we hardly even scratch the surface, so we'll, we'll have to talk next week. We, we certainly will have to. Yeah, but, uh, Every week we hardly scratch the surface. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update Fridays here at JM in the AM. Erev Shabbos, Parshas Vayelech, Erev Shabbos Shuva with candle lighting at 640, 640 later on is candle lighting on this Erev Shabbos. want to take this opportunity and to wish a mazel tov to uh, Ethan Teigman. Ethan Teigman is celebrating his bar mitzvah in Teaneck, New Jersey, this coming Shabbos. To uh, Devorah and Jared Teigman, we say Mazal Tov. And to the entire Teigman family, we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. And I want to take this opportunity to with, wish the Fishbein and Jacob families a Mazal Tov, a Mabruk. Um, <laughs> uh, Sunday night. There will be a Zohar reading taking place at the Jacob House, uh, the Jacob Home in West Orange, New Jersey. The Brit and Su'uda will be Monday morning, please God, happening at, at, at Avas Achimene, Jacob and David in West Orange, New Jersey. And I take this opportunity to wish the entire family, uh, Layla, Ovadia, and of course uh, Barry and Simon and the extended Fishbein and Jacob families a special Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Amazing to celebrate Smachot, especially with wonderful friends. JM in the AM Friday with 68 degrees, sunshine, and a high temperature of 86. Rabbi, Rabbi um, <laughs> this time, there we go. This time each and every Friday morning, every Erev Shabbat. Oh, before I introduce Rabbi Yudin, let me just mention, Matis has announced that this coming Sunday on JM Sunday, which begins at 7 a.m., Eastern Time, on our stream at jmtheam.org and on the NSN app. Rabbi David Lieberman's going to join him. He's author of How Free Will Works. This is a perfect pre-Yom Kippur conversation, and David Lieberman is fantastic. So Rabbi David Lieberman, author of How Free Will Works, he joins Matis again, JM Sundays between 7 and 9, this coming uh, uh, Sunday, right here at jmtheam.org and the NSN App. This time each and every Friday morning, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good era of Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayelech. Parshas Vayelech has the distinction, according to the Chinuch, of containing the last two 
mitzvos in the Torah. The 612th mitzvah to the Chinuch is the mitzvah of Hakel. Very appropriate for this year. This past year was a Shemitah year. And the Torah says, on the holiday of Sukkos, coming up, following a Shemitah year, on Cholamoed, the Torah doesn't say Cholamoed, but the rabbis teach us that it is Cholamoed. The entire nation of Israel, which has come to celebrate the Yom Tov of Sukkos in Yerushalayim, comes to the Beis HaMikdash, and there the king reads, quote, the Torah to the Jewish people. He's reading from the book of Devarim. He's reading the many mitzvot that now that they will be returning to their agricultural lifestyle that they are to do as found in the book of Devarim. The Rambam writes that this is a kind of reenactment of Maimar Har Sinai, that just as at Sinai all Israel was present and they heard the Torah, so too over here the king reads the Torah, they all pass by, they all see this incredible moment highlighting, reminding everybody of the centrality of Torah in their life. This is the 612th and the 613th mitzvah, according to the Chinuch, is the mitzvah incumbent upon each and every Jew to write a Sefer Torah. I give a bracha to all the listeners out there that Amir Sashem, they will be able to have the resources to write a Sefer Torah. Clearly on the surface, the Rush and others explain that what the Torah wants is for the Jew to have a Jewish library. Again, in yesteryear, they studied from the Sefer Torah. Today, it's not only the Sefer Torah and the Chumashim, but it's all of the Jewish library. That if you have it in your home, the probability is it's not just going to look nice on the shelf, you're going to open it up. You're going to study. Your children are going to study. If you don't have this for him, it's more of an effort to go to the synagogue, to go to the neighbor, etc. So, it's a practical thing that each and every Jew should have, please God, a basic Jewish library. This Shabbos has the distinction of being called Shabbos Shuva. There are several reasons for it. The first reason is that the Haftorah, that we're going to read, please God, tomorrow, the Shabbos is coming from the 14th chapter of beginning of Haftorah, from the Navi Hosea, whereby the Navi calls out to the Jewish people, Shuva Yisrael, literally, return, repent, O Israel, Ar Hashem Elokecha, to Hashem, your God, Ki because you have stumbled through your sins. And, interestingly, just as, let's say, Shabbos Nachamu, that Shabbos is called Shabbos Nachamu because the Haftorah begins with the term Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. Similarly here, the Haftorah begins with the words Shuva Yisrael. But the similarity is greater. Shabbos Nachamu represents an incredible change of mood. 
we have been in the three weeks, we have been depressed, we were sitting down, we were mourning, and now literally the Jewish nation is rising, and the Jewish nation is anticipating the, please God, uh, future when there's going to be, once again, that third base Hamigdash, Shiva Dedechemta. So the Shabbos itself is infused with a character. In that case there, the Shabbos after Tisha B'Av, a Shabbos of Vechama, Shabbos Nachamu. Similarly, this Shabbos is called Shabbos Shuva because it is the Shabbos within the ten days which began on Rosh Hashanah, which culminate on Yom Kippurim, the ten days of Aseris Yemei Tshuva. Tshuva, as the Rambam writes, and we understand, literally repentance and returning to God and relinquishing our sins and wrongdoings and charting a new course is good all year long, but it's especially appropriate during the ten days. And so this is the Shabbos within that period of time. And interestingly, the uh, Rabbeinu Yonah in his Sharei Tshuva, in his second Sha'ar, lists the various um, causes for an individual to return to Tshuva. And he lists, for example, sorrows. Unfortunately, when a person undergoes personal problems, so they introspect, and oftentimes that causes them to ideally rechart their life and turn to Hashem. The second thing that he says is Yemei Zikna, literally old age, as we mature, we began to put things in perspective and remind ourselves that we're going to be meeting our Maker. The third is Musar Chachamim, when we take to heart, literally, the rebuke of our teachers who try to put us on the right path. The fourth is our learning and studying of Torah. And we take the lessons to heart. And the fifth, he says, is our service Yemei Tshuva, the very days that we're in now. And in fact, because of this, the custom in Israel is that the rabbi gives oftentimes a longer, more elaborate talk on this Shabbos, be it in the afternoon, in some communities in the morning, but focusing on the mitzvah of tshuva, of repentance, focusing on the need and a call that each of us, on our own level, wherever we are, to better ourselves. And so, I'd like to present and share with you a very interesting uh, thought related to tshuva. The Rambam in chapter 2 of the laws of tshuva, the Rambam writes, I'm sorry, at the beginning of chapter 3 of Virchos Tshuva, the Rambam writes that each individual, based upon the Gemara in Kedushin, Mem, each individual has Zuchuyos Va'avonos. He has merits and Sins, positive acts, and those acts which are negative, sins that he has committed. 
and a person whose zuchuyos, his merits, outnumber his uh, demerits and his sins, is a tzaddik. A person whose sins outnumber his merits is a rasha, is a wicked person. And one who is mechza, who mechza, one who is half and half, is a benuni, is literally person in between. Now, the Rambam writes, continuing this theme in chapter 3, halacha 3, so too annually, shoklin avonos kol echad, each individual's uh, transgressions are weighed together with his positive actions on the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. The one who's found to be a tzaddik is sealed immediately for Chaim. The one that's found to be a Russia is sealed immediately the other way. Comes along the Benuni and the one who's in between told in Lom. He's literally, his case, his situation is suspended Ad Yom HaKippurim, until Yom Kippur. Imasot Shuva, the end of Allah Gimel, if a person does Shuva, says the Rambam, Nechtam Lachayim, then that person is sealed for life. Imlav, if a person does not do Shuva, Nechtam Lamisa. The Velt asks a very basic question, and this question is clearly enunciated and asked in the Sefer Koch Ve'or by Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer, known as Rabbi Yitzchak Petterberger, who was a Talmud of Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, the father of the Muslim movement. So in his Sefer, Koch Ve'or, he asks the basic question. What do you mean, says the Rambam, that a person who is the Benuni, he's half and half, half good, half bad. So to tip the scale, if he did Shuva, then he is inscribed for life. And if he didn't do Shuva, he's inscribed for the other way. What do you mean, asks Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer. My goodness, why does he have to do tshuva? Why can't he just do another mitzvah? Why can't he honor his parents? Why can't he find somebody and make that person into a bal tshuva? Why can't he donate significantly to the local charity fund? There's so many mitzvahs that he can do in order to tip the scale. Why does the Rambam write in Osat tshuva? And the answer that he gives is as follows, that no matter what mitzvah, well, first of all, forgive me before we get to his answer. The late Rav Aaron Kutler, he gives a very interesting answer. We are now in the year 5776. What are you going to suggest? Let a person do another mitzvah this week? Any mitzvah that you do this week is already on 5776, and it cannot affect the judgment that all of us are experiencing on 5775 and our actions. Says, however, the Koch or a very interesting point. Why does the Rambam say 
that if a person does tshuva, because any mitzvah that a person would do pales to, God forbid, the lost opportunity if a person did not do tshuva during this time. It's called Shabbat Shuvah because we're in the middle of the ten days of tshuva. And this is the time, as the Pasuk says, in that Torah that we read on Som Gedalia just two days ago, this past Wednesday. Dear Hashem Behimotz O, the Navi says to the Jewish people, go out and seek God when He is to be found. Kira'u, literally call out to Him, Bioso Korov, when He is especially close. Of course, we can communicate with God all year long, but on these days, on Rosh excuse me, on the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and especially on Yom Kippur, when he avails himself, when he is korov, when he is close to us, and we don't avail ourselves of the opportunity of tshuva, we don't, God forbid, get close to him, then in that situation there, that is held against us to such an extent that any positive mitzvah that we might do would only pale in its significance. This is the opportunity. Now what is tshuva? Tshuva is something the Gemara in Psachim, Dafnun teaches us, is one of those literal creations that God had to create before the world was created. Ask yourself why. Because listen carefully, when many of us listening, and I know I'm dating myself, were a young child, there was this toy called a magic slate. What does that mean? That you wrote on the slate, you pick it up, and then what? It's gone. Now listen carefully. I don't have to tell you, when any of us do an act as much as we might regret it, the act is there certainly if I insulted somebody the halacha says, I can't say to God on Yom Kippur forgive me for insulting somebody you must go to them as it says in the Shulchan Aruch and Simon Tov Reish Vav, this coming Tuesday, uh, well try to get there before Tuesday, and it shouldn't be simply, me, fine, but we're talking about any action that a person did, amazing, consciously, subconsciously. I had a very important appointment on Saturday night, and come on, 10 minutes of Shabbos, big deal, or getting into Shabbos late, whatever it is, I had an important appointment, I tried to get to the kosher restaurant, I went to the non-kosher restaurant, whatever it is, and I regret it. But regretting it, Heint, regretting it, Morgan, I did the act, I ate the non-kosher, I broke the Shabbos, whatever it is that a person person did each one in accordance with their unfortunate acts that they might have done during this past year. My goodness, as much as I say I'm sorry, I still did the act. The greatness of tshuva is, and that's why God had to create it before the world was created, is that if you're really sincere, guess what? It never happened. It never happened. That magic slate, it literally is gone. Now this is such a special opportunity that if a person does not avail themselves of this opportunity, then that in of itself is such a stain on their literal uh, character that any positive act that they might do would pale 
in comparison to the lack of doing tshuva. I can only say to everybody that's listening, it's such a gift that awaits us the opportunity of doing tshuva. And Hashem literally wants us. Rabbi Salvechik suggested very interestingly another reason for the widespread custom of men going to the mikvah this coming Erev Yom HaKippurim this coming Tuesday not only because of Takonas Ezra as found in the Gemara Bavakama Pebez but he suggested very interestingly that quoting the Darke Moshe that what? listen to this it is similar to the immersion of a gear. When a convert converts, they require, a male requires the acceptance of Torah mitzvot, circumcision. A woman requires acceptance of mitzvot, and both require for the final step of their conversion to immerse in a mikvah. And literally, the Rambam writes in chapter 2, of Hilchos Tshuva, Halacha Dalid, that the process of Tshuva basically is that the person is able to say to himself, when he looks in the mirror, he's able to say, Ani Acher, I am another person. Ani Oso Ho'ish Sha'osa Osam Hamaasim. I'm not the same person who did those actions. And therefore, just as a convert, when he, she, goes into the water, and when they come up, they are literally a new, different person, each and every one of us who, please God, will go to the mikvah this coming Tuesday, not only because of Takonas Ezra, but, and we're about to pray the whole day, but there is this additional factor as well that this represents each and every one of us. I'm a different person. I'm a new person. Hashem is giving me the opportunity to start anew and please God, I will take advantage of this very special time. I take this opportunity of wishing everybody a Gemar Hasima Tova. Avail yourself of this Shabbos Shuva. Whichever community you're in, go to your local Rav. Listen to his inspiring words. If there is no Drusha in your community, go to a community where there is a Drusha, and I pray that truly for each and every one of us, it's going to be a Shabbos of Shuva, bringing us to a much greater, more inspiring forthcoming year. Shabbat Shalom to all.
Visions of the uh, Shabbat in Liverpool Shabbat that Lenny Solomon did with us in uh, on the Lower East Side a few years back with this curry bone. Uh, before that, you heard Shlomo Katz's curry bone off live in Melbourne. Erev Shabbos, Parshas Vayelech, Erev Shabbos Shuva, candle lighting at 6.40 on this Erev Shabbos. Reminder, my note has their big Yom Eon this Sunday. Rabbi Jeremy Weeder is the keynote speaker. Go and enjoy an amazing three hours starting at 9.30 in the morning at, excuse me, at Mayanot Yeshiva High School. In Teaneck, New Jersey. And, um, again, that starts at 9.30 in the morning. It's up already. The, um, the weekly update is up in the, uh, archive section of the NSN app. Go to the weekly update section of the archive section of the NSN app and you will find today's complete weekly update. My conversation with Malcolm Honline. Love an opportunity to uh, hear everything in case you missed something from the early part of the conversation. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys. Candle lighting at 6.40 on this hour of Shabbos. It's JM in the AM.
say special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very special sign. Your candles will be burning, they'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos, well into the night. So throw away your hammer, there's nothing left to do. Sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. For the listeners, sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Wraps up a great week, a short week, but a great week here at JM and the AM. I want to thank our... Uh, I want to thank Malcolm Homeline, and if you missed any of the weekly updates, check it out in the archive section of the NSN app or jmm.org later on. Archive section of the NSN app has it right now, so you can check that out and enjoy. Or, well, depending on what you think of the news of the day, I don't know if I should say enjoy. Matis has our by David Lieberman as a guest this coming uh, Sunday. Uh, Matis begins at 7 a.m. Eastern Time with JM Sunday on jmm.org in the NSN app. Make sure to be tuned in. And um, Naomi Nachman follows next with Table for Two. And after that, our amazing Erev Shabbos uh, music stream is prepared by Mark Zamek and brought to you by our friends at Kedem. It's an amazing stream all the way until candle lighting. Just keep it on in your home all through the day.
Fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Till Monday, it's Nachum Sigur reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.